0: Are you ready to perform at your highest potential? Welcome to the Performance Matters Podcast from GP Strategies. In each episode, we'll interview industry experts, exploring best practices and innovative insights to help you and your organization improve performance. I'm Jeremy Shear, and our guest is Don Duquette, Executive Vice President of GP Strategies. Don, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jeremy. Glad to be here. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your background in learning
1: and development. Sure, I'd be glad. So I've been in the learning and development business for a little more than 30 years now and started out really as an instructional systems designer and then became a facilitator and a project manager and then a program manager before I moved up to the executive ranks. So learning and development has really been my whole career And it's a big passion of mine, so I'm excited to talk to people about it.
0: Excellent. So today, our topic is developing the right content strategy. And we're going to talk about four approaches to that, borrow, buy, build, or bend. So let's start with why having the right content strategy is important in the first place. It's so critical today because the amount of digital learning assets continues
1: to grow, An example was a few months ago, I was at a client and we were talking about the amount of learning content in their learning management system. And they said that they had 450,000 courses in the learning management system. And I stepped back for a minute and thought I must have misunderstood them. They must have said 45,000 courses in the LMS. So I asked again, I said, you have 45,000 courses in the learning management system. they said, no, we have 450,000. Wow. And I said, oh my. So what happens is we just continue to build these digital learning assets and then load them in. And I think at some point in time, and they become uncontrollable. And that's what I saw at this particular client where now you just have so much content in there that it almost becomes useless to everybody because when they go to search on, For example, project management, uh, they may end up getting 50 or 70 or 80 courses. And then, of course, their question would be, well, which one of these do I take? So I think a content strategy really allows you to get control of all of your assets so that you're managing them effectively and efficiently so that you're not getting to the point where you have 450,000 courses inside your learning management system.
0: Yeah, and and some of those courses might be really good, right? You just don't want them to get lost and buried amongst all the other stuff. That's absolutely
1: correct. You can't yeah, you can't find them, you know, typically if sometimes when we do a Google search, we just tend to look at the top 10 things that came up that first page and something may be hidden below that. And we know today that, you know, learning management systems inherently do not have great search functions, so you may not get even the right content popping up the first time.
0: Right. Okay. And so that's why you need a good content strategy and we're going to talk about a couple different kinds of strategy or different approaches to that strategy starting with the borrow type. And to my mind when I think about borrow that I imagine that that looks something like looking at what other companies are doing and taking some of their best ideas, or even from within your own company, kind of scouting out, you know, what works and then borrowing it as opposed to creating something from scratch. Does that sound about right? I think that's absolutely right. Borrowing is a combination
1: of, as you said, looking inside, because again, there's a lot of good content typically inside companies, but they're not always in the learning management system. And Today, you know, all companies do not have an integrated search function to search all of the content inside, you know, even their own company. So the question becomes there might be really great content out there that you can't even find because you can't search it. So the second part about the borrow but it's become really important in the last couple of years and I think is gaining significant traction is that curation strategy of going out on the internet and finding something that's applicable. And I think the greatest example of that that we probably use every single day in one fashion or another is is YouTube, right? There are mm-hmm. millions and millions of videos on YouTube. And I know personally that, you know, if sometimes I need to fix something. My first go-to place is YouTube. And typically you'll find content almost to do anything in YouTube, you know, fix a leaky sink and do anything you can. So I think you take that same strategy and borrow things from the internet like YouTube that or be applicable to a corporate setting. The biggest example I cite there is typically Excel. We know that the features, there's a million features and functionality for Excel and we don't use them all the time. And so there might be times where, for example, I need to do a pivot table and I can't remember how to do a pivot table. But I can look on YouTube and it's typically a four or five minute video on how to create a pivot table in Excel that really helps me. So using that same strategy from a company, you can curate those videos or curate the content that you find on the Internet and make it available to employees via links inside the learning management system. So it works very effectively. And of course, it doesn't cost anything to use that content other
0: than the time it took initially to search for and tag it. Okay. And, and I assume that's one of the advantages of borrowing as opposed to buying or creating it from scratch, that it's already there and it's essentially free. That's correct. Exactly right. What are some other advantages to borrowing compared to the other types of, uh, to, to the other strategies? So I think
1: today that the, um, one of the other distinct advantages is in most cases, when you are borrowing content, it is very specific, very targeted to the problem that you are trying to solve. In most cases, very small time-wise consumption. The biggest problem we have today, of course, is just the amount of time that we have as we're doing our job to try to search for particular learning topics. And in most cases, today, learning is designed to teach a wide variety of topics versus a single point. And they go back to my earlier example on Excel. If you were to buy content, for example, you might find a course that, you know, an introduction to Excel or advanced Excel, that's going to go through 15 or 20 or 30 features in Excel. But I just really need one. I need to just know how to do a pivot table. And so what we call today in the learning profession, micro learning, and that is targeted learning could be three to five minutes long. That just fix looks at fixes one particular problem that you might be having in the workplace. So typically most of the content on the Internet create, to, to solve one particular problem and not give you any more than you really need to get the job done.
0: Okay. So now of course you can't always find what you need just through borrowing. And sometimes you need to purchase content. And there's certainly plenty of content for sale out there, like a prebuilt e-learning course on IT security training to cite just one example. But if you're going to buy content, how do you know which content is going to be the best fit for your company's learning needs? Because I'm sure we can all think of examples of companies that have spent a ton of money buying content and they implement it and it just bombs because it doesn't fit what they're actually doing.
1: That's correct. And I think the simple but unfortunate answer to how do you know you're, you're getting the right content is that typically you don't. And I think this has become mm-hmm. evident by the way the off-the-shelf content providers bundle their content. So typically, you might be looking at a particular problem in the organization where you might only need five or six topics in a catalog of a off-the-shelf provider, but you just can't, you can't buy five or six. You know they, they typically say you need to buy five hundred or a thousand courses. So there's minimum. So and the problem with that becomes, which has become frustrating for those companies that are purchasing them, is that. I really only need ten topics, but I have to buy five hundred to get ten. And so, hopefully, the businesses will change from what they what they are developing. But from their business model, I understand they don't want to, as we sometimes call it, they never wanted to go to the pay by the drink model. So you would just yeah. purchase content as you consumed it, and there would be no guarantee. So most of the off the shelf vendors today want a guaranteed minimum purchase of a certain number of courses and a certain combined consumption of those courses, which leads to frustration from from the companies that are that are buying them to say, I didn't really need all of this content. So I think until we basically see the business model change around that, then I think you find companies buying much more content than they really need and that they know they're going to end up consuming.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, and so does that mean that In your opinion, companies should buy content only when they really have no other option, given that that seems to be just a baked in problem.
1: Right. I I think I think it becomes again, it goes back to the first question on content strategy. So, for example, a few years ago, one of our major insurance companies that we work with, I remember the chief learning officer at the time, she had a contract with a off-the-shelf company where they provided the company with about a 1,000 courses per year. And it was a three-year contract. And it was coming up for renewal. And the renewal terms were about a million dollars to renew that contract. And when she went and looked at the actual consumption, she found that really only about 200 of those courses were consumed on a regular basis. And most of those courses that were being consumed were functionality and features around the office suite of products. We talked about Microsoft Excel, Microsoft PowerPoint, Word. And so those were the courses that tended to be most consumed in this off-the-shelf course. And then she really set us on a content strategy that says, okay, can we find enough content borrowed? And if we have to build a couple of them, then I'll still build a couple of them that ultimately will end up saving me a million dollars. So we undertook about a about a six month program and put together a team of people who between looking at the internet and building some quick courses were able to completely replace the need to renew that contract with the off the shelf content provider, saving her, you know, more than a million dollars a year.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, okay, one obvious advantage then of building your content, which is another of the strategies that we listed before, is you can build just what you need instead of buying a big, big package with a bunch of stuff that you don't need. So, But, but building content is not a simple matter, right? What are some of the challenges that a company might typically face in building their own content? I think
1: in the case of building your own content, the issues that you run into is first, whether you're going to do it yourself internally or whether you're going to have a outside vendor build the content for you. The advantages of doing it internally are that typically the individuals in the company have subject matter expertise, so they know the business and they know the issues, so they tend to be able to I think do a efficient, more efficient job with less subject matter expertise involvement to get the content mm-hmm. developed. The disadvantage, of course, from the company's perspective, is that they have a fixed cost of uh, developing content. So, if you have whether you have five people developing content or whether you have fifty people developing content inside, that's a fixed cost for the company. And if the company doesn't have a big demand at one point in time to be developing content, then you're still paying for those five or 50 people. So it Mm -hmm. becomes a cost efficient strategy when you're taking a look at, should I do it internally or externally? If you do it externally, then of course, you're only paying while you're developing content, but you are giving up some subject matter expertise because typically the vendor that you're going to employ doesn't know your business. If you continue to work with them, then over a period of time, then they will get more knowledgeable and they will get understanding the business. So that will improve. But the first couple of times, if it's a financial institution or a insurance institution, they don't understand the business. And so they're going to have to depend more on a subject matter inside the business, subject matter expert inside the business to make sure they get the the content right. So there's definitely advantages and disadvantages internally or externally doing it
0: yeah absolutely and, and it sounds like deciding whether to do it internally or externally would depend on a lot of factors the size of your company the kind of content that you're looking for if you have the experts inside the company or not to be able to help you with that i would sure it would push you in one direction or another correct yeah there's
1: definitely there's companies spend a lot of time really thinking i think about whether they should do things internally or externally and the cost advantages, the time advantages, and the um, expertise before making a decision whether to do content development in-house or to give it
0: outside to a vendor. Okay, so the final approach is the bend approach, which might seem like getting the best of all worlds. You're borrowing some content, buying some, building some based on your needs, Uh, but what are some of the challenges of taking this bend approach?
1: I think the challenges of the Bend approach become really what we call creating a seamless learner experience. So today, one of the biggest challenges we have in the learning world is the learner experience. So I think we've gotten feedback over the past several years that most learners are not happy with the experience, and today um, it's really all about whether you go to a restaurant or whether you go to any type of uh, retail store, it's the experience that really creates, I think, the satisfaction that a person has. And so the same thing is true from a learning experience. And we can all, I think, name examples, whether it's a classroom training that we've been through with a great instructor or a online course that we did, where the experience has been absolutely fantastic or the experience has been absolutely dreadful. And so today we're trying to make sure that the experiences become really much, much better. And when you bend content and you're trying to pull in from a variety of different sources, you can create an issue where it is not seamless. So for example, you know, if you're linking out to the internet and then you open up a piece of content and you come back into a piece of content that you may have developed, the experience as you move from one to another is a little different. In some cases, it might not be a greatly produced video. In other cases, it might be that if you're navigating, if you're linking out to a buy course, then you know simply the navigation buttons might be on the bottom of the screen and the navigation mm-hmm. buttons for the course that has been developed is on the top of the screen. So navigation is shifting from the top to the bottom. And so you, you get a non-seamless experience and that reduces the the learner experience. So the biggest thing for a instructional designer as they're using the bend approach is to make sure that they don't lose the learner experience, that they maintain that really good learner experience as they're putting all together that all together. And I think that adds a challenge to the bend of the uh, borrow, build, buy, bend routine that you would go through.
0: Mm-hmm. That's a great point because I mean, you might have the greatest content in the world, but if it's not easily accessible or actually learning from it is not, it, 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 there, there are too many roadblocks to it, it might completely undermine the quality of the content. That's exactly right. I think because you get, you're so distracted by...
1: The navigation or the changes in the, the navigation that you really can't focus on the learning, and uh, or you just completely get frustrated and you just you either shut down and you stop the course or you just rapidly go through it to uh, to finish it. So, so we really have yeah. to be conscious now of learner experiences going forward.
0: And you could probably say the same for the other approaches too, whether you're borrowing or buying or uh, or bending, it's all about the learner experience, no matter what strategy you take. That's correct. And
1: as I said, as learning and development professionals, I think that is probably on the top of our list today of the items that most companies are trying to continuously improve that uh, that learner experience. And that's especially true yes. when it's done uh, remotely or when it's done in a uh, online environment. We know in a classroom environment that the experience is really 90 plus percent of the experience is driven by the facilitator or the teacher. And this is not much different than we were as we've gone through our whole career in school, right? We had great teachers and we had terrible teachers and the great teachers could could really help us make us learn and and we look forward to going into those classrooms and learning. And the terrible teachers, we just kept looking at our watches to say, when is this period going to be? to be over. But when you're, doing, when you're training online, there's nobody there. There's not an instructor there present. So you really have to step up your game then to create that learner experience when you're doing it in an online environment.
0: Yeah, that is so true. So Don, you've shared several really great insights for us. What are two or three main ideas that you want our listeners to take away from this conversation?
1: Well, I think, Jeremy, the two that come to mind is, number one, all the way back to the beginning of the podcast, content strategy. The content strategy is critical because it lays out that strategy and gives you focus. And so if you don't have a good content strategy, then I think you're going to struggle trying to create the right learner experience and to be able to manage all those assets. And second, which we've talked about all through this broadcast, is that learner experience continue to keep in mind the learner experience and how you can make the learner absolutely enjoy the learning as they're going through it. And I think those two items, if you keep those two in mind and you can nail those two, then I think that you can do a great job helping the learners learn in uh, in all the companies that you're working with. Great. Well,
0: Don, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. Great.
1: Was glad to be here, Jeremy. Thanks for your time today.
0: The Performance Matters Podcast is brought to you by GP Strategies. Together, we can create a world where business excellence makes possibilities achievable. You can subscribe to the show anywhere you get podcasts and listen on our website at gpstrategies.com podcasts.